Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. We rely on the generosity of our listeners to sustain this ministry and the message of the coming kingdom of heaven. Please consider making a donation to Beth Emanuel by clicking on the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. If you've been following the news at all, it's easy to lose heart and to feel despair for the future. Yeshua said, If this is what they do when the tree is green, what will they do when it is dry? Meaning, if a green tree can be burned, how much more so a dry tree? If this is what they are doing today, what will tomorrow be like? As it says in the Torah, In the morning you shall say, Would that it were evening. And at evening you will say, Would that it were morning. Because of the dread of your heart which you dread. For the sight of your eyes which you will see. Deuteronomy 28, 67. Despite what our eyes see and our ears hear, I want to encourage you today not to give in to despair. Remember who you are and who your master is and how we got to this point in the first place. Yeshua spelled all of this out for us long ago. He said, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Matthew, 20, Matthew 10, 22 and 23. If the world doesn't hate us, we should be wondering if we are truly disciples of the suffering servant. He said, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And the Apostle John says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. What's surprising is to realize that the world hates us, not because of our allegiance to Yeshua, as we might have expected, but because of our allegiance to the people of Yeshua, the brothers and sisters of our master, the Jewish people. It's surprising. A Gentile Christian is often told he might be persecuted for his or her allegiance to Jesus, but Christians are rarely told that they might be persecuted for their association with the Jewish people. But that's exactly what happened in the first century, under the first Neronian persecution, again at the outbreak of the Jewish revolt, again under Domitian's persecutions of those who had drifted into Jewish ways, and again during the Bar Kokhba revolt, and so on, until Gentile Christians learned to distance themselves from the Jewish people and to disavow their association with Israel. It should not be a surprise to discover that allegiance to the true Jewish Yeshua will incur persecution because of association with the Jewish people. Yeshua is, after all, the king of the Jews. If I, as an American, cast my allegiance behind Xi Ping of the Chinese government and swore to give my life in service to him, and I go about advancing his hegemony, I should not be surprised if the FBI arrests me for collaboration with a foreign power and arraigns me on charges of treason and espionage. Likewise, disciples of Yeshua, true disciples of the true Yeshua, should be conspicuous for our allegiance to the King of the Jews. And so it should be no surprise that we are all swept up together with the Jewish people to share in the sufferings of the nation, that we might also share in the glory and the reward that is yet to come. Yeshua says, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. 
the implication is that he who does not stand firm to the end will not be saved. In other words, one who abandons allegiance to Yeshua denies him, and denies his kingdom, and denies his people. This person will not be saved. If we abandon our allegiance and faith for the sake of pleasing the world and obeying the world, we will share in the wrath that God pours out on the world in the time to come. As he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all of the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations, all the Gentiles will be gathered before him. Then the king will say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 31-41 Yeshua warns his disciples to stand firm to the end. What does it mean to stand firm to the end? In the context of the saying, Yeshua is warning about the persecutions and tribulations of the Hevle Mashiach, the birth pangs of the Messiah, which must beset the world and the people of God before the redemption. To stand firm to the end means to remain faithful, practicing godliness, righteousness, and truth, following the straight and narrow, and cleaving to our confession of faith through days of tribulation and persecution even if it costs us our lives. In our Torah portion, it says, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. Today, we see many indications that the time of testing is nearly upon us. Since the beginning of 2020, we have been keeping an eye on current events and taking note of the signs and indications that we are nearing the end of the age. Yeshua instructed us to do so, to remain watchful, to be on guard, to stay vigilant, because we do not know the day or hour. For three or four years, we have been watching the signs and omens and prodigies pile up around us, all around the world. These are the beginnings of the birth pains. As disciples of Yeshua who read and understand the New Testament, we already know that in the end of days, there will be such a time of persecution and tribulation that Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the chosen people, the elect, those days will be cut short. Matthew 24, 22. I have always hoped that this eschatological end times persecution was already behind us. I hoped that the days of Jacob's trouble were already spent and exhausted in the days of the apostles when the Roman Empire representing the powers of Gog and Magog, all nations, sacked the city of Jerusalem, burned the temple, butchered the population, and sold the surviving Jewish inhabitants of the Holy Land into slavery. I hoped that the great tribulation of the end of days had already spent its energy in the persecutions, pogroms, blood libels, deportations, humiliations, crusades, and massacres of the Middle Ages. I felt confident that the persecution predicted for the end of the age had already been fulfilled in the travails of World War II and the Holocaust when one-third of the Jewish population of planet Earth was exterminated in the greatest intentional genocide ever perpetrated by a modern Western nation. 
I still hope that we might be past all of that and ready for the final redemption. But the events of the last month and even the last weeks have deeply shaken that confidence. How is it that in a Western first world educated country, which has dedicated the last 50 years to rooting out prejudice, bigotry, and racism, championing diversity, equity, and inclusion, to the extent that all things and all people and all perversions have become permissible, and it is no longer even permitted to control immigration across the borders or to use police to try to stop the looting of a shopping center, how is it, in such a noble and enlightened day and age, that there can be such shameless anti-Semitism and open hatred for the Jewish people on display. The ignorance and folly has been stacked up like bricks in the Tower of Babel reaching all the way to heaven. The Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. I saw a polling question posted on X, formerly called Twitter. Here's the question. Why is Israel attacking Gaza? Is it because A, Jews are inherently genocidal? Or is it because B, because Hamas slaughtered and raped 1,400 Israelis on October 7? More than half of the respondents chose the option, Jews are inherently genocidal. That majority of people are the same majority who champion and applaud the terrorism of Hamas, so long as it is committed against the Jewish people. And they refer to the terrorists as freedom fighters. In my opinion, nothing has been as emblematic of the absolute confusion and ignorance of the young progressive left than the LGBTQT rainbow Palestinian flag. It's gotten a lot of laughs because obviously anyone who knows anything about anything knows that flag isn't going to fly. But to me, it represents the absolute failure of Western education that has put all of its efforts for decades into indoctrinating children with political correctness, with values based on diversity, equity, and inclusion, rather than right and wrong. Our educational institutions long ago substituted basic morality and the distinction between right and wrong with politically correct multiculturalism and social engineering to the extent that the majority of people in the country under the age of 40 no longer know their left hand from their right. In the last two weeks, anti-Semitic incidents around the world and around the country have spiked so dramatically that even CNN, CNBC, and other major news outlets have spoken out against it. We have thousands and hundreds of thousands of demonstrators marching in the streets openly calling for the eradication of the state of Israel, a genocidal aspiration. We have heard chants like, gas the Jews. This is happening in Western nations like Germany, Australia, England, France, Italy, and the United States. The White House expressed such alarm over the dramatic increase of anti-Jewish and anti-Semitic rhetoric and hate crimes and that our vice president was forced to take action last week by announcing a new campaign to fight Islamophobia. Seriously. The FBI says that 
Even before October 7, 60% of all hate crimes in the United States were directed against the Jewish people. To put that into context, you have to remember that Jewish people make up only 2.4% of the United States population, so 60% of hate crimes are perpetrated against 2.4% of the population, and since October 7, the incidents have spiked by more than 1,000%. Our government's solution to the problem is to create a campaign to fight Islamophobia. In the last two weeks, we have seen pro-Hamas and anti-Israel demonstrations on the most prestigious, liberal, progressive, multicultural schools in America. Jewish students in those schools have received death threats. Others have been hassled by other students. All over the country, posters of the more than 200 people kidnapped and held hostage by Hamas are being torn down by students who refer to the hostage posters as false Israeli propaganda. Last Shabbat in Brooklyn, in Crown Heights, 7,000 people showed up to harass the most Jewish neighborhood in the United States on Shabbat by conducting a pro-Hamas rally called Flood Brooklyn for Gaza, a name that intentionally alluded to the October 7 massacre in Israel, which Hamas refers to as the Al-Aqsa Flood Operation. These things are happening before our eyes. In Paris, Jewish homes and businesses have been marked with graffiti, stars of David, to identify where the Jews are. In the United Nations, a motion was put before the United Nations General Assembly to pass an amendment condemning the October 7 Hamas terrorist attack on Israel. When the motion failed to obtain a two-thirds majority, the Assembly Hall erupted in applause. The envoy from Iran became the chairman of the UN Human Rights Council last Thursday, a council that has issued more condemnations of Israel than it has issued for any other country. In fact, more condemnations for Israel than it has issued for all other countries combined. It was this same body of international ambassadors who, under pressure from the Soviet Union in the 1970s, branded Zionism as racism and condemned Israel as an illegal occupier and apartheid state. Since then, that Soviet-era propaganda has found a home in the anti-Western elitist academics on American and European campuses, which have now turned out generation after generation of self-hating Westerners calling for the elimination of the only free country in the Middle East, the only country in the Middle East that actually protects human rights. Russia and China have not relented from their anti-Israel agenda. Since October 7, they have been stirring the pot by activating their trolls, flooding media and social media with anti-Semitism and anti-Israel material. On Friday, Russia condemned Israel, alleging that the state has no right to retaliate for the October 7 attack, since the state occupies contested territory. On Sunday, October 29, in the Russian province of Dagestan, the Kremlin's anti-Israel rhetoric fanned the flames of Jew hatred already present in the 80% Muslim province. A modern-day pogrom took place. A violent mob overran the airport. When they heard that a Russian flight from Tel Aviv had landed, they were looking for Jews. The same mob stopped traffic, checking cars leaving the airport for Jews. 
When a Jewish man checked into the Flamingo Hotel in Kasavirt, a mob gathered in front of the hotel and started shouting, show your face or we will come in, we'll come in there and pull you out of there. There's a video of the mob outside the hotel entrance. It's a scene right out of the Torah portion where a lynch mob gathers outside Lot's house, demanding his guests. Again, reading the Torah portion is like reading the news. There's several other passages in the Torah that spring to life in light of the news. The fire from heaven that falls upon Sodom and Gomorrah brings to mind the fire from heaven falling upon Gaza. The abduction of Sarah and the Philistines, that is, the Palestinians, reminds us of the abduction and kidnapping of the more than 200 Israelis still held hostage in Gaza. Abraham's treaty with the Philistine king Abimelech reminds us of the long, painful 75 years of attempts at peace with other Philistine kings, such as Yasser Arafat, the father of PLO terrorism, Mahmoud Abbas, a crime lord and despot over the West Bank, and the Gazan refugees who, after Israel's withdrawal in 2006, elected Hamas, the terror arm of the Muslim Brotherhood, to represent them, lead them, and govern them. Often, Israel has sat down at the table with these modern Abimelechs, who claim to represent the interests of the Palestinian people, but in reality represent only their undying and unquenchable hatred for the Jewish people. Yeshua says, You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Further on in the book of Matthew, he repeats, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And again, in the Didache, it says something very similar, speaking about the end of days when those who cause corruption will increase in number, and the sheep will be changed into wolves, and love will will be changed into hate. It says, Gather together often, seeking what is appropriate for your lives, because your entire time of faithfulness will be of no benefit to you if you will not have been made complete at the end of time. That is, if you have not endured to the end. The book of Revelation picks up the same theme. It continually encourages us to remain steadfast and to overcome in the face of persecution. In the book of Revelation, the ones who overcome are understood to be the disciples of Yeshua who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Yeshua. By refusing to recant their allegiance to Yeshua the Messiah, despite pressure and persecution from the Roman government, They are the martyrs who are put to death for their allegiance to Yeshua, that is the testimony of Yeshua, and for their connection to the Jewish people, that is the commandments of God. The angel of Yeshua makes ten pronouncements to him who overcomes. One, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in paradise, in the paradise of God. Two, He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. 3. 
To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. 4. He who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. 6. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it any more. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. 7. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Then, at the end of the vision, the one who sits upon the throne says, He who overcomes will inherit all these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Read the New Testament again with this theme firmly in view before your eyes, and you will see that the theme of overcoming, of standing fast in one's faith and convictions despite persecution, runs through the whole New Testament. From the outset, the calling of discipleship was a call to be willing to lay down our lives, as it says, unless a person takes up his cross and follows me, he is not worthy of me. I remind you of these things, because... I am afraid that we have not adequately prepared for the hour of testing. And it seems the hour draws closer until it is nearly upon us. The massive international outpouring of anti-Israel sentiment and its robust support within Western countries should be understood as the latest indication of the decline and collapse of Western civilization. There is some ruthless math at work driving a demographic shift. While Western societies have been carefully limiting their family size to 1.5 children and aborting unwanted pregnancies, the Muslim world has been rapidly multiplying like the children of Israel in Egypt until the land was filled with them, until the initial 300,000 Palestinian refugees in Gaza after the Six-Day War have become 2.5 million. All over the world, these demographics are playing out. While Western societies have been abandoning the Judeo-Christian values that made them successful in the first place, exchanging faith in God for a vapid secularism, the Muslim world has doubled down on its own religion for the last half century. Islam in the Middle East is stronger, stricter, and more radical than any time in history. While Western society has become too sophisticated to condemn the violence and barbarity subjected upon us from the religion of peace, or to speak out against the excesses of Islam, the Muslim world has boldly and consistently castigated the West as the great Satan, fomented fervor for an apocalyptic war against the Jews first, and then all of the West, and sworn itself to our destruction. So yeah, things have been heading this way for a long while now, and it's probably true. We probably are looking at the collapse of Western civilization. It won't be the first time Western civilization declined and collapsed. 
we did have that whole Dark Ages thing. So cheer up. It's not the end of the world. Or is it? Where do we find hope? We find it in the Torah. The Torah portion speaks about the promise of a coming son who will inherit the land that God promised to give to Abraham. It's a situation that seems utterly impossible. God promised Abraham and Sarah children to inherit the land, but they are too old to have children. Sarah laughs at the thought. The angel of the Lord rebukes her. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Earlier this week, looking at the way the masks have been removed, and the whole world has turned against the Jewish people, and trying to imagine how this can have any sort of positive outcome, while Hamas is vowing to repeat the October 7 massacre again and again until the Jewish state is eradicated, and looking at more and more evidence of the horror and depravity of that savage massacre, and thinking about how this might play out and how we are going to get through this in an election year, while Russian and Chinese propaganda ministries feed our political opinion makers with their talking points, trying to get us to withdraw support for our allies in international conflicts. I'll admit, I was starting to feel kind of down about it, starting to feel depressed, and even feeling some doubt creep into my soul. The doubt sounded like this. Perhaps this is how it really ends, and there is no redemption, no coming kingdom, but only darkness in the end. And then I realized, wait a second, if there is no coming redemption, no coming kingdom, no coming Messiah, then why does the world hate the Jews with this unceasing hatred in the first place? How have things just accidentally arranged themselves in fulfillment of biblical prophecies and in fulfillment of the words of our Master and all of our Apostles? It says in our Torah portion, After these things, God tested Abraham. If not for that time of testing, the binding of Isaac, there would have been no ram, no covenant, no confirmation of the promise I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and the sandwiches on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gates of your enemies. In your seed all nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Genesis 22, 16-18 Likewise, if not for Akedat Yeshua, the crucifixion of our Master, there would have been no resurrection. So, in a backwards kind of way, you should look at the current events as a beacon of hope that your faith in the God of the Bible is true, that your faith in his promises will not be disappointed, and your allegiance to his Messiah is not misplaced. How else are we to interpret the world's irrational, obsessive hatred for Israel and the Jewish people if not through the lens of the biblical prophets who long ago foresaw all these things happening? The prophets looked into the future and beheld the coming day of the Lord and declared, A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities 
of the high corner towers. Zephaniah 1, 15-16 But those same prophets also saw the coming light of redemption. Isaiah compares the prophet to a watchman on the city wall before dawn. As a citizen inside the city, awake before the sun, you don't know what time it is. You don't have a wristwatch, or a mobile phone, or a clock, because it's 850 BCE. So you don't know what time it is, or how long until morning. So you ask the watchman, Watchman, how far gone is the night? Watchman, how far gone is the night? In other words, how much more darkness must we endure before the light of redemption breaks upon us? The watchman replies, Morning comes, but also night. Isaiah 21, 11-12 This is exactly where we are at as we look off into the distance through the eyes of the prophets. Morning comes, but also the night. In other words, the light of the final redemption and the dawning of the kingdom approaches, but the darkest hour before that bright morning also comes. Yeshua explains, When these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. From where do we find the courage to endure until the end? From where do we find the resolve to cling to the testimony of Yeshua and the commandments of God at the cost of our lives and the lives of our loved ones? By remembering that death is not the end. The reward is not in this lifetime. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back. Hebrews 11, 17 and 19. Therefore, we do not lose heart, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Take on my yoke and learn from me and find rest for your soul.